this is the IBJ Podcast for the week of December 19th, 2022, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. As we've discussed in recent weeks, chances are pretty good we're headed into a mild recession, if we aren't in one already. While the pace of inflation has eased a bit in the last few months, it's still at an imposing 7.4%. And as the Fed fights inflation, the cost of borrowing goes up, which is all to say, this might not be the best time to start a business that relies on consumer discretionary spending. Sherry Jenkins isn't too worried. She's the restaurateur behind the Zinesville Mainstays, Noah Grant's Grill House and Oyster Bar, and Salty Cowboy Tequilaria. She's now in the process of opening a new restaurant in Zinesville that's designed to make patrons feel like they're on vacation and don't have a care in the world. It's called Tipsy Mermaid Conk House and Cocktails, and getting it open this spring is going to require a seven-figure startup investment. But Jenkins has faith in her customer base in her native city of Zinesville. Their support helped keep Noah Grants going during the Great Recession, and patrons remained loyal to both of her restaurants during the worst of the pandemic. Jenkins also overcame a devastating fire at the original Noah Grants during a key period in which she was relocating the restaurant to a new spot in Zinesville. Fears of a mild recession don't give her much pause. IBJ reporter Daniel Bradley featured the plans for Tipsy Mermaid in the latest issue of IBJ, and Jenkins joined me for a deeper conversation about her emergence as a restaurateur after working as a teacher in Indianapolis public schools. We also discuss how she has surmounted a litany of obstacles over the last 14 years, although elevated food costs continue to be a problem. Here's our conversation. It is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Sherry Jenkins, the owner of Zinesville Restaurants, Noah Grant's Grill House and Oyster Bar, and the Salty Cowboy. Thanks for making time today. Thank you for having me, Mason. So one of the things I find really interesting about restaurateurs is that a lot of them tend to come out of left field. Like to my knowledge, there aren't a lot of places you can go to study opening and running a restaurant and then go get a job doing that. We have really successful restaurateurs in Indianapolis who started in completely different careers. Martha Hoover is a great example. She was a sex crimes prosecutor for, I believe, Marion County. And I understand you were a teacher. Yes, sir. Right. You're a teacher in the Indianapolis public school system. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that journey. How did I get from there to here? <laughs> yes. Uh, when I was 14, I got my first job in a restaurant. Um, it was called Profits Emporium here in Zionsville, which ironically enough, it was the same building that the original Noah Grants was in. So I spent a lot of time growing up in that building and then decided well, I was a teacher after I graduated from school. And you, so you went money. to school for education? Yes, I went to University of Dayton Okay. and I didn't make any money teaching. So even throughout college and while I was teaching, I continued to work in the restaurant business and it just I never stopped and decided I liked I just really, really, really liked it. May I ask just quickly, where in IPS did you teach? It's called the Key School. It was okay. a very unique school. Um, I believe it's still around, but yes, at the Key School by the Indianapolis Zoo. So how did you then go from being a teacher to opening NOAA grants in 2008? I mean, there was a point at which you just decided, you know, 
I'm going to give this a go. I actually, <laughs> how did I jump from there? It's the craziest story. I was, I had a young child and it was just he and I, and I somehow thought, oh, I, if I have my own business, I will have more time with my child. Well, <laughs> brilliant thought, brilliant thought. Luckily for me, the original Noah Grants did have an amazing office that we turned into a playroom slash bedroom art room. And he just was with me at work. So I was with him a lot and he was kind of the king of the castle there. He liked to hang out with all the hostesses at the host stand and nobody could say no to a cute six-year-old who's trying to learn the open table computer system. So it ended up working out okay. That's outstanding. Do I understand correctly that that is his name? Yes, it's Noah Grant Jenkins. Yes. No kid. That's amazing. Yes. So how, how is it? How did he like basically growing up in a restaurant with his name on it? He absolutely loved it. In fact, there are times I'd have to put him in his place and say, if you're not careful bragging about this, I will change the name to my name. So don't get too hot headed there, kiddo. <laughs> right on. Okay. Now, I mean, opening a restaurant is a hard thing. I mean, it's, I mean, it takes a ton of planning. It takes a ton of uh, capital. Um, how did you, and, and you know, and Nora Grants is a pretty sophisticated place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, from the decor to the menu, I mean, the menu is very broad and there's lots of different kinds of food. I mean, a lot of people, when they you know, open their first restaurant, it's pretty specialized. Um, how did you put all this together? The idea came from my family. I grew up in a family of five of us. None of us liked the same food at all. We had a vegetarian, we had, you know, meat eater. And that was kind of where the idea came from is like, how do you go out? Sometimes when you say with your family, hey, let's go out to dinner. Well, I'm not in the mood for sushi or I'm not in the mood for, you know, a steak. And this, the whole idea, because that was what how our family argued all the time. None of us wanted to go to the same restaurant. So I kind of that's where the concept came from. If you're not in the mood for steak or sushi, but you're in the mood for pasta, it works. And that's where it came from. And did you grow up in Zionsville? I did. I graduated from Zionsville High School. Oh, right. On. Okay. So obviously you knew the area really well. Like you said, you, your first, one of your first jobs was at this restaurant. Yes. Now, do you recall how much you needed to spend to get the doors open at Noah Grants? And this was in, I think, 2008. Yes. The first, my first loan was $250,000. And did that cover the, the opening? It did. Wow. Really. That's not bad. I mean, that's... no, no. <laughs> No, but I got used chairs. You, I mean, the, when Noah Grace first opened, I look back at some of the pictures and it was not that attractive. I mean, I did the painting myself. You know, I bare bones did as much as I could and used equipment. And you had a sense, I think, of, of maybe what Zionsville needed or wanted. Did I hear that correctly from our reporters? I Yes, I think that was very helpful me growing up here. I knew what was around to eat. I knew, you know, I had, when I was growing up here, Adam's Rib, obviously very mainstay in this town. I think if it's, I think Adam's Rib put Zionsville on the map, definitely on the food map. And that was gone by then. So there was no real high end or any, I don't like to consider Noah Grant's high end actually, but there was no like special birthday place or special anniversary place now that Adam's Rib was gone. And so, yes. And going to lunch with people or going to dinner with my family. I knew, you know, what was not here in town. Now you opened 2008 and just at the beginning of the great recession. Yes. So <laughs> how tenuous <laughs> was uh, Noah Grant's survival during those first couple of years? You know, I, 
that's another reason why I love Zionsville. Zionsville was so supportive. I mean, because I opened in February of 2008. And I remember my father saying to me, uh, is this a good idea? I mean, let's go on. And he's always been a financial advisor. So he saw what was coming. But Zionsville is so supportive. I mean, it was no different in 2008 than it was in COVID, how supportive Zionsville is of, you know, independent restaurants. The town has just always embraced local. It's been great. Then enough business, obviously, to get through without having to take any more loans. Barely, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I was paid that first year. I was still, I know I wasn't paid that first year. I was still behind the bar. I bartended as much as I could just to make tips so that I didn't have to pay myself. Is that right? That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I think I bartended about a year and a half to two years. Okay. And essentially living at the restaurant. Yes. Was there a point then at which you were able to say to yourself, okay, this is going to work? Yes, I do. I, I did because I was determined. I mean, I, it's really, I was determined to make it work. I loved every minute of it. When I saw that Noah was adjusting, it wasn't, you know, affecting him growing up as a young man. I kept, you know, there was nothing else I wanted to do. So I was determined to make it work. What do you like so much about it? I love the people. I love being around. And, you know, my father always says, it's like you host a party every night uh, when I go on to work. And it is. It's, and that's what I love doing that. I also love the creativity behind it. You, I mean, somebody give me a Pinterest board and I will not stop looking at food and recipes and decor and ideas. I could do that. If I knew there was a way to make a make a living off of just creating new restaurants with new menus all the time, I would do that because I just love the changing it up and you know making it better. Hopefully, well, that's a good segue into 2014. You opened the Salt Cowboy, a Mexican restaurant and bar. That's a very different concept from Noah Grant's. Why did you want to try something new instead of maybe starting in Noah Grant's Greenwood or you know Noah Grant's Muncie? I always knew Noah Grant's was going to be one and done. I get asked weekly for, you know, Noah Grant's and other suburbs around here. And they, I mean, I will never do that. It's what makes Noah Grant special. There are so many restaurants in central Indiana that have amazing food. I mean, there are, there's so many great restaurants in this city. Noah Grant's is about how the customer we hope feels when they come in, that they feel special. They're somewhere different. So that is why Noah Grants will never be duplicated. And then Salty Cowboy, I knew I wanted something completely different than Noah Grants because I didn't want to stab myself in the foot and try to compete with myself. And there, especially back then, there, you know, there was a lot of young families that live around, you know, that have moved into Zionsville. It was a different time when I opened that than it was when I first opened Noah Grants. So I wanted something that was kid friendly as well as something with a bar with, you know, a bar focus, but also the dining room to be very kid friendly. And that dining room is full of kids all the time. About how much uh, were the startup costs on that one? That one was a significantly more. Yeah. Significantly more. Because <laughs> you know, I, what I did is I rented two buildings and had to connect them. So that construction alone, one was, it was a donut shop up front. And then there was an office building that I had to connect about 15 feet between the, you know, between the two of them. Oh, wow. So it wasn't like purpose built or anything. You had to make that space work. Yes. Wow. Did you have to get another loan, I guess, for that? Yes. Okay. Ballpark, basically, what that would have been? Double, no grants. Oh, okay. So then let's fast forward to 2017. 
this is just like a litany of, of, uh, of challenges, really. You've already decided to relocate to the historic Carter Building, which I think is just a few blocks away from that. Correct. Place. But it's a bigger space. It'll give you more seating. It'll give you more flexibility in the kitchen. Yes. And then there is a fire in the building, including no grants within the building. What happened there? Well, that that spot is where Tipsy Mermaid was originally going to go. The thought was to move, you know, Noah's to the Carter building and then put the Tipsy Mermaid. Actually, it wasn't called the Tipsy Mermaid back then. Um, Tipsy Mermaid is actually more of a newer name. But the, yeah, we had a fire. It was actually spontaneous combustion of dirty towels. There was a lot of the fire, all the fire inspectors and the insurance, like nobody, nobody, everybody wanted to point a finger somewhere, but it was spontaneous combustion of dirty towels. How started that in the basement. It, it's like we learned that in sixth grade and I was like, wait, I remember hearing about spontaneous combustion, but what? But that is, that is what the fire investigators determined what, what caused it. It just generated basement. enough heat mm -hmm. to actually catch the towels on fire. Yep. So you initially had plans to move into the Carter building. I don't know how, how far in the future, but then that all becomes more complicated. Right. So how did you handle that? That was the most terrifying time of my life. I mean, it was it was terrible. I mean, to look at people and say, you don't have a job tomorrow. I don't have a job tomorrow, you know, but I don't want to lose you because I need Noah Grants to reopen sometime. And to figure that out, I got very lucky with the front of the house staff as I was able to give them opportunities to go work at Salty Cowboy for some income. Um, not all of them like that idea, but they knew if they wanted to stick around and work at Noah Grants when we finally got the building completed, they did. So that, I was lucky on there to have that opportunity for them. And then I just took out every last dime that I had and uh, paid all my kitchen and my salary workers to promise me they wouldn't go away while the building was being finished. Oh, that's amazing. Did you, you rented the Noah Grant space? Correct. So that was not like a, a loss for you because there was a fire in the building. Yes, it was, but that's a different story. <laughs> well, good different point. Yeah. Day. The, the things in the building were yours. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. So the fire was on September 18th, and the new Noah Grants opened on November the 14th. That is about two months. Uh, how accelerated a schedule was that? Extremely. I have a group of great girlfriends who have great husbands. Um, even a lot of the current employees, ex-employees, we were there painting, we were scraping, you know, because the contractor kept doing his stuff. But, you know, my friends and ex-employees and current employees, they were there every day helping me trying to accelerate the process. So you get it open within two months and then everything peachy or were there some problems shaking out the place? Aside from the fact that we forgot to put kitchen doors on the kitchen, and so it was super loud for the first six weeks, everybody could hear everybody in the kitchen singing. Other than that, it was it was great because I wasn't starting with a new staff. They were my, you know, they were my people before, and they were just elated to be in a much bigger space and a brighter space. So it really was, really went well, to be quite frank. So then you have two years, I assume, of relative calm. Yep. <laughs> and then there's a pandemic, yes. uh, which obviously, I mean, had a chilling, sometimes terminal effect on restaurants. Yes. How did you get through the pandemic? Oh, again, my wonderful people. We all met up on that day was the 18th. And 
I said, okay, who wants to stick through this? I don't know what we're going to do, but who, you know, who's going to take that paycheck from no grants or who's going to take a paycheck from the government. And there was about eight to 10 of us front of the house staff that said, nope, let's do this. Let's, let's give it a whirl. Let's, and then, you know, I didn't even have online ordering at the time. I didn't have DoorDash at the time. I mean, it was learning things, social media, trying to reach out to my customers like, hey, we're here. And how do you put an $88 surf and turf in a to-go box and make a customer feel satisfied? How do you do that? So the first two weeks were not fun at all. We're not fun at all because we were trying to figure it out and then put getting a new, web, like I said, new website all that. And we ended up, say we, that group of us that stayed, all the kitchen um, stayed except for one person. And the eight to 10 of us that stayed in the front of the house, I know it sounds crazy. We ended up having a ball. We have the fondest memories of those because we didn't reopen the restaurant until July so for March, April, May, almost five months, we were in there by ourselves doing carry out. I mean, we did carry out galore um, enough that those servers were able to still pay their bills because of the amount of carry out that we did. Again, thank you to the support of Zionsville, you know, our customers. But we truly have it was scary at first because it's like, what is this? What's, co- you know, what the what uh, is was scary. But once we got it down, we did great. They did great. Our customers did great. It was, like I said, I, we go back and think of funny things and stories of things that we did when we were in there because no, we're, we're not on stage like we normally are every night when we go to work. There's a customer watching us. When we were behind the scenes still putting the food together, we could be our goofy, silly selves and no one could judge us. Give credit where credit is due. Um, I believe you uh, you applied for paycheck protection program funds yes as well and got i think two for two different rounds for noah grants and one for uh for salty i'm sorry yeah for salty cowboy yes and that i think together they amounted to six hundred fifty thousand ish seven hundred thousand ish and those have all been forgiven yes how important was it to have that kind of federal assistance critical because i could not have paid the kitchen staff to continue to work, you know, and my, I do pay my, my kitchen staff fairly well, very well, actually. That's why most of them have been with me 10, 12. I've got somebody who's been with me 13 years because they are paid very well so that they didn't have to take a pay cut and none of them did during COVID. It paid for all their salaries the whole time. Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm. With more than 625 attorneys across 11 offices, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with this week's episode of the IBJ podcast and my conversation with a restaurateur, Sherry Jenkins, owner of Noah Grants, Salted Cowboy, and the soon-to-open Tipsy Mermaid. Now, tell me about the genesis of Tipsy Mermaid. And you mentioned that it originally was called something different. 
Yes. It was, well, it had a few different names. I forget the very first one, but the one that I thought it was going to be was Hemingway's Bodega. And so I registered that name. And then within about 60 days, I got a letter from a, an attorney, a Hemingway's estate attorney, telling me I couldn't use it because they have to be, a person has to have been gone for a certain amount of time. Um, I, I don't know because there's still Hemingway's places out there now. So I don't know how they got away with it, but I thought I'm not in the mood for a legal battle. So dropped that and then ended up coming up with a tipsy mermaid sometime later. And then I assume you're talking about Ernest Hemingway. Um, yes. Is it, what is, what is your uh, attraction to Ernest Hemingway or how, do, how does that fit into I a have, restaurant? It's very strange. It's very strange. All my friends and family tell me that. I am a huge fan of Key West. That's where my place of travel is. And he spent many years down there in the 30s and has a home there. So that was really, I wasn't exposed to him, honestly, when I was teaching. I think some people think that it was more of my exposure. And when I did the first tour of his home down in Key West, that I was like, this man is something else. He is a character. And then the more I learned about him personally, not necessarily his writings, I read I've read way more books on him than I have his books. And I just, you know, I'm joked that I'm, if he was still alive, I would have ended up being his fifth wife um, <laughs> because I, I do have a strange attraction to him. And so I kind of wanted to play that because I knew the U.S. theme was going to be the restaurant. Um, I just kind of want to play, play on that using his name. And so it kind of just evolved from there. But the restaurant still maintains, I mean, you know, yes. that, so that kernel of this is, we want you to feel like you are in Key West. Yes, absolutely. And, and what is that vibe exactly? How do you distill that? Laid back, yet still lively, you know, flip-flops only, no mascara required. It's, you know, kind of like how I want you to feel the way I feel the second I step, you know, off the plane when I land in Key West. Amazing food. The flavors down there are just that you'd be somebody people will think they think of Key West is like Southern Florida, where it's like your classic Southern Florida cuisine. And Key West is so different because there's so many influences. You have the Bahamian influence, you have the Cuban influence, and then you're surrounded by the sea. So obviously there's the seafood um, influence as well. It's just a burst of flavors down there. I understand uh, many of the dishes will include the conch. Conch? Conk with the yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> what is conch? It conk is an edible mollusk that most people are familiar with. They've seen it when they have the competitions when you blow into it, it makes the sound the like the horn. That oh, the conch shell, yeah, right. Conch shell, yes. But it's a um, it's comes out and it's not pretty at all. It is tough. It has conch has to be extremely tenderized, and you see it more. I mean, I'm didn't say I would actually want to eat like a conch steak, even me personally, but you got the conch fritters, conch ceviche. There's so many ways to use conch that it's just, and it is a different texture. And I like the texture of my food as well. Uh, tell me about the building where it will be located. The building has been around. We just found out the other day, the building was built like 1880 something. And there's a gap that we can't figure out. None of us can remember what it was, but it was a residence for, I believe, four generations of a family. And then again, there's a gap that none of us can quite, I say none of us, like my architect, you know, people who are in Zion, so we can't quite remember what it was. And then the most recent, it was the Serenity Tea Room. Have you bought this building or are you leasing it? 
I am leasing it, yes. So what ballpark are your startup costs to get this up and running? Quadrupled. A million dollars. Oh no, a quadruple the salty. Oh, two million dollars. Yes. Wow. And I'm sure that the current economic climate. It did not start out to have this kind of budget. Yeah. It didn't. I mean, I'd, if somebody would have told me in 2019 when I opened this restaurant it would be this much, I would have been like, yeah, right, I'm out. No way. But it just, yeah, what's happened to the economics, that's where it is today, all in. And, then, and how are you financing that? You're also getting a loan. That I would like to not disclose. Okay. Will you, will you be the sole owner of this one as well, though? Yes. Okay. Great. Now, we hear a lot about a recession coming early next year. Does that give you pause at all when you continue to work toward opening the restaurant? Or, you know, given all the challenges you've already faced? That is, yes. One. Yeah, between the first 2008 recession, the fire, you know, COVID, I'm like, we, we're, we can do this. We can do this. And again, Zionsville is a great town that has never stopped supporting local restaurants. And I don't see that in the foreseeable future that ha changing either. This is going to sound a little bit out of left field, but is Zionsville recession proof? I mean, that you, Boone County has, <laughs> I mean, the average income of Boone County is like one of the highest in, in, right. uh, in the state. So is the core of your clientele really less likely to be materially affected? You know, if there's a, a year long recession? You know, I don't, I don't know because you never know, you know, you've seen people live in million dollar homes and they have rent rental furniture inside, you know, I mean, so you never know what's in someone's bank account, but you know, Zionsville survived 2008 for sure. So I don't know. It's a, it's a good, it's a good town to be in, you know, as a business owner, that's for sure. How have you seen your food costs rise? As a, oh, it's been awful. And all that stuff. It's been awful at least double. I mean, seafood has been, seafood and steaks have been the worst, which are the core of Noah Grant's. King crab legs have quadrupled since the day before COVID hit. Really? And I didn't actually increase my prices because I was afraid to until I had to. And that would have been this, I think I did it in August for the first time since COVID. Oh, no kidding. Well, mm -hmm. and, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it depends from dish to dish, but you have kind of a sense of how much you had to raise prices. King crab legs were doubled. I mean, that was like, that was the most dramatic one, literally doubled. Everything else, I just baby stepped. I just added a buck or two because I don't want sticker shock. I don't want people to not be able to think they can't afford it. Um, but I had to start recuperating some of that loss over the first two years when the, or, you know, when the food costs did go up. So when are you expecting to open the Tipsy Mermaid? Well, I do have a great contracting company that I'm working with and have full faith in them. They say March, but I'm realistically telling myself May because it's, you know, it's Indiana and it's January and next it's February. So this spring, this spring. And you mentioned before, I mean, you get approached a lot about potentially maybe franchising or maybe, I don't know what they suggest, taking on investors and opening somewhere else. And you are dead set against trying to replicate this. Correct. Correct. Um, any, any one of these concepts. Correct. And and why? <laughs> I think it keeps them special. I think it keeps them special. And I, when you start duplicating, I don't know. I just, I think they're all, I, they're exactly the way I want them to the extent. They are the, they're what I dreamed of, what I thought of. And once that gets transferred over to somebody else's hands, because I can't run them all, 
then it's going to get changed. And I like them the way they are. How close, I mean, physically are these three locations <laughs> to each other? <laughs> if you know, then you, that's why we're laughing. Um, you can stand on the back porch of Noah's Tipsy Mermaid or Salty Cowboy and wave to all the other employees. Okay. That would make me feel better. I do. I do. I mean, I can be at any restaurant in 20 seconds. Right. I mean, as opposed to, like I said, you know, having Noah Grant's Muncie. Or right. I mean, that it, you're essentially just a complex. Right. You can, you can take care of it that way. Right. Well, best of luck to you. Um, you will probably well, check in maybe in a year and see how things go. Thank you very much. Hopefully everything's, the session's done and everybody's back to business. My thanks again to Sherry Jenkins. And again, you can read more about the Tipsy Mermaid Project in the latest issue of IPJ. And before you get on with the rest of your week and your last second holiday planning, there are a few other stories in this week's IBJ I want to draw to your attention. More than three years after Indiana lawmakers passed legislation to issue digital driver's licenses, the effort to bring mobile credentials to Hoosiers appears to be stuck in neutral. Peter Blanchard reports that there's no longer a timetable or even a cost projection for the program. Also in this week's issue, John Russell features OPYS Physician Services, an Indianapolis firm that's helping to meet the medical staffing demands created by physician burnout in rural areas. And Susan Orr has an ominous report from the front lines of consumer behavior. Savings accounts are drying up and credit card balances are again on the rise. And again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or, of course, online at ibj.com. I will say it is easier to access all of the latest local news about business and politics and all of IBJ's data on Central Indiana's business community and economy if you're a subscriber. And here's a new development. We have wrapped all of IBJ's content together with all of the stories, columns, and podcasts from our sister publication, Inside Indiana Business. And that works out to about $3 per week. For actionable information about every notable business development across the state, you won't find Indiana's story told with this kind of breadth and depth anywhere else. And at long last... We now have gift subscriptions to IBJ, the digital and print product together, which I think are solid options for people on your list who pretty much have everything else. Just go to IBJ.com, click on the subscribe button. And thanks again for making time this week and really this year for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We're going to take next week off for Christmas but have a new episode for you on Tuesday, January the 3rd. And until then, please have a warm and safe holiday.